Yeah. Okay, so with that, hi, welcome to the hype with me as always, Brian and John. Hi. Uh, today we are joined by Chewy for the first time in a long time. Hi. Um, oh, there's a weather alert. Hey, there's a right weather alert. <laughs> oh, it's an amber alert. Amber <laughs> alert during the weather alert. <laughs> we're indoors. We're not driving. The tornado yeah. took her. <laughs> I'm so happy I just turned my sound off. The, the, the twister done took her. Uh, and then we all are right, also... when you guys leave, you need to look for a brown BMW sedan four-door, 2001. We are also joined today by Tom. Hey, everyone. <laughs> Speaking I of tornadoes... I did not take the kid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's going to be weird to leave that in. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, okay, so we'll just get started. Oh, well, I guess I should say um, we're happy to be back after our three weeks, almost a month off. Almost a month off, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we were out globetrotting, so we didn't really have, you know the time or capabilities to record episodes but you know it was fun and worth it um so we'll be back for a couple weeks and then i have to take one more week off but then we'll be back for a while but yeah <laughs> and then we'll take another week off and we'll yeah. be back and yeah. 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 we're gonna be we're gonna be inconsistent for a while yeah why not yeah. it's more fun that way it keeps for, you guessing yeah will there be an episode this week won't there be an episode this week probably will uh at least this week it won't negatively negatively affect our numbers at all yeah <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we'll get started with uh, where have you been doing. Uh, I know we haven't been around for a while, so these might be a little bit older, depending on who wants to say what they've seen. Um, I'm going to go first with the movie that everyone shit all over and they shouldn't have because it was fucking awesome. Uh, Terminator Genesis. I saw this, what, a week ago? It's about the day after I got back yeah, in town. Yeah, would have yeah. been last Saturday. Yeah, so a week ago. Uh, and I fucking loved it. I don't understand why people didn't like it. The fact that people hate this movie I still find kind of baffling. Because I watched the whole thing and was like, this is just a fun, like, kind of romp that's both a love letter to Terminator and its own Terminator movie. And it does a good job setting up sequels that I actually want to see, not like that fucking Christian Bale shit back in the day. They're just like, well, I guess if they make another one, I'll see it. Uh, like, they actually did a good job making their own universe and, like, dealing with time travel in a really kind of fun way. And not, like, over-explaining it, like, in a Nolan way, but still explaining it at least one time. Then, like, they even kind of have the moment where Jai Courtney, who's, you know, still Jai Courtney... Uh, he asks, like, wait, what? And the Terminator is like, basically, if you didn't understand it, you're not going to. And they just move right along with the plot. And you have any idea how refreshing it was to have the guy go, huh? Instead oh, yeah. of the girl? <laughs> oh, yeah. Amelia Clark was great. And she's just right on there the whole time. So she never has it like, I don't understand. My lady brain can't comprehend. And oh, everything That's how great. all ladies sound. Yeah. <laughs> lamb sakes. Because <laughs> it was so annoying watching Flash when they had the female scientist during that, doing that, when she, apparently she didn't know what a black hole was. That was... And I'm like, she's one of the main scientists. <laughs> oh, the Flash. So progressive in some really big back steps. But, you know, they tried. <laughs> It's Two steps forward, one and a half steps back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's it for me. I, I could rant and rave for hours, and I will at some point when it comes to DVD and we do an episode on it. Um, but until then, I, I don't want to give anything away. Because you should see it. Don't listen to the reviewers. They're wrong. It was refreshingly good. It was. So who's next? I, I guess I'll go next. Okay. Well, yesterday we saw Ant-Man. I hummed the theme song. There's no Ant-Man theme song. I guess not. There's no na 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 Well, if I could do the sound of a thousand ants walking at the same time, that could be the theme song, because it happened a lot. It does, yeah. Which was very impressive. That was some good CG. Most of the time. Most of the time. It was more complete CG than what we got in Avengers. It got cartoony, but I think that was one of the times the cartooniness was purposeful. It never looked unfinished, like Turtles or Age of Ultron or anything like that. Or the shitty movies. Age of Ultron wasn't shitty. It had its parts. I loved it. I thought it was great. It was really a lot of fun. But it had some shitty parts. Most of the time with the bad CGI. That's true. Um, if you're going to analyze movies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Ant-Man was a lot of fun. I don't know how much I can talk into it because I don't, these two haven't seen it because I can't spoil anything. That, um, that doesn't matter, honestly. I, I mean, I'm pretty, I, if they've seen any of the Marvel movies, I'm pretty sure they know there's going to be a bad guy. He's going to kill one red shirt and then he's going to get defeated at the end. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> But there's some introspective moments. I wouldn't call it a character study because I know some people, like I use I mean, that. I, always, know, I don't know some also, people are reviewing it that way. I also know about a cameo because that was spoiled on Facebook. There's a cameo. Isn't there like an Avengers cameo? Oh, it's not really a cameo. No, he's actually like a part. He's actually a part of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. That's uh, not like a big part, but he's definitely like he's a major like. If he didn't, if that sequence didn't happen, I don't think Ant Man would have ever like had the confidence to be Ant Man. So it's kind of oh, like cool. it's a very important. 
And it totally leads into So basically the it's next the silent Avengers bob movie. section of the movie. Yeah. And it's like, get your shit together, man. And again, without that sequence, like that sequence really sets up Civil War in a big way. So like, it's a very important sequence to both the movie and to future movies. So it wasn't just it wasn't like a Stan Lee cameo. And it was, but like I said, it was a lot of fun. It definitely felt Edgar Wrightish. I don't know if I'm fine with him not having directed it because I don't think it would have been that much different. Honestly, it would have been different, but I mostly prefer him standing up for his artistic creds. Yeah. And I respect that. So kudos for still giving us a great movie that this other guy who does a lot of TV directed. I think Peyton Reed did a good job. I mean, Peyton Reed did a really good job making an Edgar Wright movie. Yeah, he did. He just seems like this is like the thing he does, where he comes into other people's scripts and he makes it good. Because when I was looking at his IMDb, that's mostly what it was. I mean, he wrote the first Bring It On. He just kind of knows how to make light, funny movies. Bring It On is good. (laughs) That's that's good stuff. I guess I'll go next. Uh, The movie that stuck with me that I've seen most recently is Kingsman. Because I really enjoyed it. It was just a fun romp, a good spy movie. I don't know. I I, it's one of my favorite movies of this year right now. Yeah, that's fantastic. a blurb that's on the box, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Good bit of spy film, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it was just fantastic. I watched it on the plane, and then I came home, and it was like, i got to watch this on the big screen. So, yeah. yeah. I threw it right on. Like, so you watched it on the plane. Now I'm curious, what was different between the plane and the... The plane experience? And yeah. the, I, well, I mean, I guess I was less focused at home, because, you know, if you're on a plane... Well, I guess I meant, like, in terms of what they cut, because usually plane... Oh, no, no, I, I brought, brought it with me on oh, the plane, good. Okay. watched uh, it on the plane, loved it so much, I figured I'd watch it again about home. So. I figured the plane version would be like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's, yeah, yeah, we're going to do an episode on it here, uh, I think in a few weeks. Nice. It might be a month and a half. Yeah, it's on our calendar. Somewhere. It's on our calendar. It's definitely coming up at some point. Well, that's exactly why I didn't mention Bloodborne, because you're doing another episode about yeah, that. that's true. So. Yeah, we're doing that one, too. Yeah. Well, I'm going to mention Bloodborne just as a okay. precursor. Because <laughs> <laughs> while you guys were gone, I had your PS4 mm-hmm. and all I played was Bloodborne basically every night I get home and just die a lot <laughs> a lot and a lot more did you have a throw pillow like I a had, pillow I had a to pillow cry. to throw had, your controller at I had two cats at one point <laughs> <laughs> and that gives you an answer but no it was really fun like I mean I'd already watched all the playthroughs that mm-hmm. I could possibly stand so like everything was spoiled and I knew how to do everything but there's a difference between watching it and then trying to execute it because there were a lot of moments where I was like, this looked so much easier yeah, on screen. Happened. Yeah, like when you watch like a boss, but like I can't figure out how to do this boss. Oh, it's super easy. You just do this. Ow! Yeah. Three yeah. hours later. Yeah, that didn't work at all. <laughs> yep. And it was basically that, that first boss, the uh, cleric beast, where it was like, it took me for some reason forever. And then once I found like, once it clicked, it was... Easy. Wait, the cleric beast. He's the very first one on the bridge. Oh, on the bridge. Okay. okay. Yeah. Wait, did you skip the first boss? I can't remember which one. No, no, no. I didn't even realize. I forgot that you could skip that boss. Yeah, you could and go straight to the the first hunter, and that's horrible. Yeah. That's not recommended for anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Father Gaskion, yeah. I think it is, yeah. and all the gravestones and all that. Just... Yeah. Yeah, he's a pain in the ass. <sighs> that... The only reason you can beat him is because of the environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Both the environment helps you beat him and helps him beat you. And yeah. very, <laughs> there were a lot of times where I was stuck between two, like, in a corner of two gravestones. I was like, that's it. Yep. I'm dead. I'm dodging. I'm dodging. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'd just be glad you didn't know. Or dodging towards him when I meant to dodge back and then yep. being like, well, <laughs> just die. Yeah, just be glad you didn't get to that last boss in the game. Because if you got to that guy, there's no more headstones to dodge around. And he's faster than the other guy. Yeah. Oh, he's a pain in the ass. Yeah, and I figured uh, that would have been the uh, a throw controller point yeah, oh yeah. for me. Yeah. But, uh, no, and I, and I didn't make it to there just because it spent, I got stuck on, um, oh, where was it? Well, kind of in the, about the middle. Okay. And I, then I tried the Chalice Dungeons, and my God, those suck. Yeah, those were... I hated them. I don't understand why people raved about them. I got about, like, two floors through the first one that I got. Yeah. And then I was like, I, I don't feel any... Com- Need to do this. No, it feels like a huge waste of time. You get some really great weapons if you get to the later ones. Yeah. And that's the thing is you have to get to the later ones. I was like, I don't think I could stand getting to the later ones. Yeah. Because the boss, like, the enemy placements are stupid and very trollish. Whereas, like, the game, these games always feel fair in their placement. Like, yeah. Yeah. Given your druthers, you can actually complete this. You can get through. You can make it. It's fair. And It's the punishingly chal- difficult, but it's only punishing when you screw up. Right. right. Whereas the challenge dungeon is like, well, you know, you're going to open this door, but there's going to be a wolf behind it, and he's going to hit you, and there's going to be a ball that comes and hits you from back to behind. Yeah. And, haha, figure that one out, asshole. Yeah. 
I think they're a misstep. Although people really seem to like them, so I doubt they're going to be going away anytime soon. I'm sure there'll yeah. be a version of them in Dark Souls 3. But... Yeah, and the hitboxes in the dungeons were weirder. Like Yeah, they were perfect in the game, and then you get into the hit, the the dungeons, and suddenly they're like Dark Souls 2 again. It's like, yeah, it's like the enemy's hitting away from me, but I got hit? Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, so all in all, I thought the game was really fun, and I liked the kind of it added uh, aggression. The, whereas there's a lot of shield kind of walking around and kind of passive fighting in... Dark Souls, Souls games, yeah. but more is like get in there. You're gonna you're gonna do better if you get up in that. Uh, that's kind of why I'm a little afraid of going back to Dark Souls three because yeah. I really enjoy this like the 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 bring it on nature yeah. of Bloodborne, and then going back to the oh, my shield. Mm-hmm. No, I'm gonna be doing that. Oh my shield yeah. when three comes out. I'm debating. I'm just going two swords and just saying fuck it. Yeah, do this shit like Bloodborne. Well, maybe it, it basically gives you gives you the hint to the other games that like. Cause you cause so many problems. Like, did you know you could actually do what you're doing in Bloodborne now in no. Dark Souls? You just don't. The dodge isn't quite as quick. Yeah. Dang, you used to it. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's it. Yeah. yeah. Are we going to get started on this? This film sure. of the day. I don't know. What are we What are we talking about today? There. Uh, today we're talking about the third element. I mean, fifth element. <laughs> get it, Monty Python. Five and three, switched it. Yeah, I've been playing that joke all morning. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no one has eyes because they've all rolled out. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'm still laughing at my own joke. Uh, so yeah, today's the fifth element. Uh, the 1997, yes, 97 classic, if you will, um, made by Luc Besson, or Besson, if you're American. Um, uh, it cost not applicable. So uh, I don't know what that was. It was free. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I read somewhere it was like 90, 90 million. That'd be my guess. Yeah, yeah. pretty good budget. Yeah, it had a, imagine. especially for the 90s, it had a huge fucking budget, but yeah. it's not on Box Office Mojo, so I can't say exactly what it was, but I'd guess probably around 90. Oh, come on, Box Office Mojo, get yeah. your shit together. No kidding. This is from the 90s. Why didn't you hear these numbers? Um, they have how much it made. It made 63 million in the States, which if it cost 90, explains why we never saw the sixth element. Um... Worldwide, it made an additional 200 million, so it ended up with 263. But in the 90s, as we all remember, they didn't give a flying fuck about what you did internationally. It was just about the domestic box office. Yeah. Yeah. Nowadays, that would definitely warrant a sequel. Well, if people knew that we were actually making money on this movie, we'd have to pay them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I didn't know this movie would have been considered a disappointment. Yeah. If it, if it yeah. definitely cleared 100 million in its budget, that's most definitely a flop. I don't think it would have done 100 million in the 90s. In the budget? Yeah. It might have. I mean, there's yeah, so much CG and, and else, marketing. Um, mm. All those, all those fucking costumes. Like there was so much. Um, Even the transmorphifying faces that they had. Oh yeah, that'd be for the '90s cost. Oh yeah, that'd have been tough. That was Especially eight. like that shaking headway. Like yeah, that'd be eighty mm-hmm. percent of the budget right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going to six guys in a basement <laughs> for seven months. Yeah. On that one shot. But, uh, yeah, so uh, that's the numbers. Uh, I'm going to do the review really quick for today. And now, I don't understand this review at all. Um, I'm hoping somebody does. And if they do, it will be considered funny. And if not, it will be considered very weird. (laughs) All right. Um, This comes from Jonathan G. on Metacritic. He wrote this review back in 2009. So if he's amongst our listeners, you know, I'm calling you out, Johnny boy. Um, uh, Zero out of ten. While watching the Fifth Element, comma, Europe. Europe? <laughs> Europe. Zero out of ten. <laughs> Are you saying that we should go now? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea what that means, but that's but what he posted in Metacritic. There are European sensibilities in it, I guess. And it's I feel like that's a reach. Style. <laughs> You're uh, actually trying to decipher this. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I, interesting. I read this last night when I was trying to get this stuff ready, and I just went... I have no idea what he means. I mean, the other two that are negative reviews on Metacritic are far better reviews and actually make sense. But I feel, in grand tradition of our podcast, we're going to go with what doesn't make sense. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, while watching The Fifth Element, comma, Europe. Well, Europe never makes sense to me in the first place. Yeah. So <laughs> using it in a review. Yeah. Okay, so that's a good starting out point for how we feel about the film, yeah. Europe. Uh, like yeah. Europe. See, now, I would have taken that exact same sentence but apply, like, 10 stars. <laughs> While watching the film in Europe, 20 out of 10. 20 out of 10. <laughs> Damn! 
Uh, all right, so we got to do a breakdown of this thing. Uh, hmm. I want to make Chewie do it. No. Yeah, I'm sorry. I wasn't going to, but you're the one who made us wait to do this episode because you really wanted to be on it. How much time do I get? I don't know. What do you think? Give me two. Give me two choices. And I'll pick one. Thirty or forty-five. Thirty. Thirty seconds. Yeah, like I didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, Europe. <laughs> I wonder if that guy goes through life just saying Europe to people. How do you feel about today, Europe, man? <laughs> Europe. <laughs> if you're really feeling down, Greece. <laughs> Greece. Um. Okay. Go. All right. All right. So we start in Egypt, where there's these things that are happening, and these people get put in, find the aliens <laughs> who are protecting the stones, and then they leave. And Luke Perry. Um. Then we get Corbin Dallas, who's Bruce Willis, and he is driving a cab, and then suddenly a woman falls into his cab, and he loves her, because you just know. Um, then they have to go save the universe in a hotel, and there's a diva. So 30 seconds might not have been enough time. <laughs> I was already doing it! I thought I was going pretty fast! You were. If you had 45, you might have gotten there, but Karen said 30. And then they save the world. Yeah, and then world yeah. over. Chris Tucker! <laughs> Opera House. Uh, Damn! <laughs> uh, uh, so to make fun of you for not getting it, uh, your feet are quite pungent today. One's also bleeding a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's your TMI of the day. <laughs> uh, okay, so... This podcast is brought to you by Band-Aid. <laughs> uh, so if you've never seen The Fifth Element, now I'm sure you understand everything that happens in the film when we talk about it. Look! <laughs> All the nuance. Yeah, no worries with spoilers now because you definitely understand everything in the film. Luke Perry is the main character. Yeah, <laughs> the main character. Except for the Corbin Dallas, who was Bruce Willis. Now, does Bruce Willis play Corbin Dallas or does the actor Corbin Dallas play Bruce Willis? Because based on your description, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't even mention that the girl that fell out of his cat was Mila. No, you didn't. Mila Yovovich did Or Yovovich? Is it Yovovich? Yovovich. She done screwed up. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> She's going to come in and kill us all. She is. And she can. Okay, so to start with this movie, I think we should start where? I, don't, I really don't know. I mean, it feels like a movie that's... I, I kind of want to start with the things that it borrows. Because I feel like that's a main reason that a lot of people don't actually gravitate towards the movie. Because I feel like it's kind of like a... It's weird. This movie is such a huge thing for people who grew up in the 90s like we did. But for people who did not, it kind of looks like, well, why would I watch Fifth Element if I can just watch Star Wars, or if I can just watch Blade Runner, or if I can just watch, I don't think there's really much Star Trek in there, but there's like... And but, any one of those take their material a little bit more seriously, a little less yeah, playfully. Yeah, and while I never thought it was a problem, I always thought it was more of a love letter to those things and made it better. Well, that, let me let me piggyback off of that, because okay. it's, you said, you said it was like a love letter and all that yeah. to those, those types of things, and... What Basan has always been about is like kind of a playfulness. There's like his movies are kind of playful, at least in like this and Lucy even. Like there's like, there's like like not not overt, but like there's a yeah. sense of it. Um, it's not taking the genre too seriously. No, but I think I mean, I mean Basan's kind of a good thing to jump off to from the the whole love letter aspect because I think uh, all of his movies, even like fucking like professional, has like a moment of like playfulness too. Yeah. Like it all kind of has this sort of like. Shit is serious, but you kind of have to laugh at it. Yeah. And I, I think, again, another thing, like, I loved Luc Besson for a long time, and then he kind of stopped trying. I never saw Lucy. I heard that was kind of his comeback, and he's doing better again, but I haven't seen it yet, so I can't really speak to it. It's weird, but it's fun. Yeah. It, he uh, didn't fall in love and marry Scarlett after that, so it's already a little different. Yeah, that's a little different. <laughs> um, but I, I, after The Fifth Element, I'd pretty much... I'd watch anything he fucking made. Not anything he wrote, because some of the things he wrote were clearly for paychecks. Yeah. Transporter. Um, taken. Unleashed. I can keep going. Uh, but I think he made good stuff. But it's... I think when all is said and done, it's either going to be this or the professional that will go down like as his like crowning cinematic achievement. And I just I don't know which one will actually stand the Probably the professional for critical acclaim. And this one for fun. Yeah. I mean, there's... That, it, it's hard to say because right now the Nick, professional will be appreciated from a critical and a, a film history standpoint because it's yeah. it's just got that longer view on it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, 
97? It hasn't, it hasn't been that long. We're yeah. still kind of no. in that, but when you kind of go, you know, f- more f- further down the line of history, it'll be those two movies. Yeah. And then everything well, else will be kind of like, well, and then he did Lucy, and then all he did these other We shouldn't too. actually knock off Nikita. I mean, that has been by far, if you go by success, his yeah, most successful that is, movie. That's true. Most it's fun. Yeah. What? Two, three shows? Two shows. Just two. Two okay. shows. Yeah. And a USA remake. And didn't they have a remake of the movie or no? No, they didn't remake. Oh. There was talks of it, but they didn't do it. Yeah, I always kind of forget about Left and Nikita because I always remember the TV shows more than the this movie. one. This movie, The Fifth Element, will have though the most fandom surrounding it. Yeah, and it'll it'll be timeless in that regard. Yeah, and I feel like it's kind of a it's kind of our generation's last Starfighter. Like it's one of those movies that like if you were younger when it came out, it was the fucking most awesome thing that you could have seen in theaters until two years later when The Matrix came out. Um, <laughs> But it was like, it was the thing that you had to see, that all your friends saw, then all of a sudden, like, everyone here who was way too young to see Friday is now a huge fan of Chris Tucker, and, like, it, yeah. like, it just kind of brought everything up to this level, and, I mean, I don't know anyone who still doesn't like Milia Vovich because of this movie. Yeah. Like, some people fucking hate all the Resident Evil movies. I don't. I think they're fun. I but, don't understand that. <laughs> but, but, yeah. but then when you watch this movie, it, like, kind of places you, okay, this is what her roles are about from now on. Yeah. And then it just recontextualizes to make Resident Evil okay. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's kind of like, here's your introductory course to her. Yeah. And what she's all about from then on. And, yeah, get on board. Yeah, or and who knows she could be such a good actress? Like, I mean, she hadn't really done much before this, but she was fantastic in she this. She was. Oh, this performance. Will, yeah, yeah she, this is still, she, I would say, the best she's ever done in a movie. She co-created the language. Yeah. <laughs> her and Basson did it together. And that just goes to the testament of how much is said non-verbally when people actually speak to each other. Yeah. 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 Um, but I think it's kind of a good moment to move into the the red-headed star of the film. She's more of an orange with some yellow, but yeah. everyone calls her a redhead. They call her a redhead the whole movie. But I think we should just start talking about <laughs> Miller, because I think that's... Yeah. It's a good segue. It is. And she's phenomenal. Yeah. She is. And the thing that I loved... I, I'm not sure if you guys remember the trailers for this. Does anybody remember? Nope. Okay. The thing... If you were to go, if you can find them on YouTube, the there's only one trailer that's ever released for the film, Iron than like the TV spots that later came out and said, the best movies in Star Wars, the best this, and one movies. trailer? Wow. Yeah. That's so weird given today. Uh, yeah. And it gets weirder. The only trailer that came out had zero dialogue in it. No, that had the negotiator thing. I remember seeing that. That was in TV spots. That was in TV spots. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> where, where did he learn how to negotiate? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you can find the trailer on YouTube. It's all music. Huh. And I remember seeing this trailer as a kid, and this was pretty close after my dad, and I was young for this movie, but it was right after my dad had made me watch Blade Runner for the first time. Yeah. And I saw this, and I'm like, oh, it's Blade Runner 2. Oh, what's the fifth element? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember when I saw the trailer, I was convinced that Milla was the villain. Because I had just seen uh, Blade Runner. Yeah. Oh, and where all the female women are except yeah, for the one. Yeah, except for the one, they're all villains. They all kind of do like the weird, like, uh, you know, like that scene where she's going down the hallway and she's doing like the backflip yeah. sort of thing or down the hall. Or playing with a snake or yeah. what. Yeah. And then I watch the trailer for this one and I see Mila doing the backflip thing and then diving through a wall. I'm like, oh, she's probably the villain. She's wearing all white, like the villain in Blade Runner. This, she's, that's the bad guy. So yeah. I was very surprised when I got to the movie and she was a good guy. Yeah. But I remember, like, my dad didn't want to go see this. He just had no interest in it at all because <laughs> it was. Um, so so Blade Runner-y. He's like, nah, I don't want to see it. And then eventually we did, and my dad and I both walked out doing the exact same thing of, she was great. Yeah. <laughs> like, awesome. She was one of the first, like, you know, you'd had your female protagonists before, but some she stood out. She, she did. She was, like, how they even said her, like, she's strong, but she's still weak or what? I don't remember the line exactly. It was like, she's strong, but she still needs support. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, the only, re- the only reason she ended up needing help was because she got shot multiple times, which they don't show because it's a PG-13 movie. It still kind of annoys me, because it yeah. really just kind of makes it like she, she just gets real tuckered out. Yeah, it does. No, I'm sleepy. And then, but then you're like, she probably got shot like five or six times. Yeah, and that makes it a lot more funny why she can't do shit at the end. But when you don't see that, it really just looks like... What's wrong? Dude, just stand up. You're fine. You dodged all those bullets somehow. Yeah. Lock it off. <laughs> um, but, like, the, the action sequence, because, yeah, it was pre-Matrix, so then the martial arts felt really awesome. Yeah, pre-Matrix, that action sequence in that room was kick-ass. And just Post-Matrix, like, 
It's a little silly. And it was <laughs> the. But I think that adds to the charm. It does like, when she does like the uh, the the fast face slap thing. Yeah. And then winds up and punches the guy. It's great. It's it, yeah. I love that kind of silliness. Yeah. The the editing totally added to all of the silliness of how they crossed between that fight sequence and the opera. Yeah. Like. That's one of the things I that made this movie as good as it was was because of the editing and it's jumping off of Mila, but yeah, and well, people no. who like with sticking with Mila, it's like she commits to her roles one hundred and ten percent, absolutely, and you don't really notice that. Like I know I, having seen like Days and Confused before this, it's mm-hmm. just like okay, she's whatever, but then you like this kind of it's like I'm here and I'm ready to do this. Well, it felt like uh, Days of Confused is like, we need a hot model yeah. to uh, play a stoner friend who's not going to say anything the whole movie. And they right. got Millie Vogue, who's a hot model who didn't have to say anything. Right. And it feels like... Turns out this hot model can act and yeah. is very yeah. good at what she does. It really felt like Luke Besson gave her a bigger chance than I think anyone was willing to give her. Yeah. Like, because she really carries the movie. And like, not to say that Bruce Willis doesn't. We'll move on to him momentarily, but... But who do you think of first? Yeah, when you think of the fifth element, you probably... You don't see any Corbin Dallas's at cosplay events or at any... No. Or if you do, they're next to the more important cosplay. Yeah, then you're, if you do see them, they're next to I've them. never seen a Corbin Dallas cosplay. I've seen lots of Milos, not Milos, Lealus, <laughs> and I've seen a couple of Ruby Rods. That's it. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think, um, again, just speaking of the movie's credit and like probably why people remember it so much, is like it, specifically with her, is that it just did such a good job designing something that's so like stark and different from what we were getting in the 90s. So it just, this movie stood out like a sore thumb in the best way possible. And when you looked at that, when you look at the trailer and you just saw Mila with the orange hair, like the blonde roots, and then that whole white suit, the bandages, if you will, uh, that she wears, it's like, what it was they so... Um, they were thermal bandages. Thermal thermal bandages, bandages yeah. yeah. And like, you just took one look at that and it just... Those it, won't keep her warm. No, it won't do that. <laughs> it will cover her nipples. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> um, but it was... It stood out so much that like it was a tough movie to ignore, which is why I'm still surprised it made so little for yeah. the 90s. And even though it was such a homage to both Star Wars and Blade Runner, Blade Runner it had a completely different color scheme than both well, of them. Oh, completely different. And Look. a completely different story. I mean, really, without, yeah. it's just the look that was And it homage. just borrowed ideas it's yeah. a little bit. And, and sometimes it looks like they borrowed some costumes, but whatever. It, it helped... <laughs> This is one of the things I loved so much. It was so 1997's idea of the future of fashion with the holographic things and everything and the plastic rubber outfits. Everyone just thought that was the future of fashion. And it was hilarious, but they did it in such a great way where you're like, I would wear that. Probably not really on casual wear, but I would wear that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before we move on to, I think we should probably just move right into Bruce Willis or Ian Holm. One or the other. We'll figure it out. Maybe we'll say Bruce Willis for last. Or the other one. Yeah. Can't remember his name right now. Corbin. Chris Tucker? No. Gary Oldman? Gary Oldman. There we go. Uh, I'm kind of, I think I'm going to say Bruce Willis and him for last. Okay. Um, but uh, I do want to, we mentioned it very briefly. I, I do want to throw it in there again. The The language creation in this movie was phenomenal. Like, I'm always impressed, like, whenever you watch a movie and they do, a, like, they create a language like they did with Box Trolls, which we talked about at length that time, and then they, I mean, they'll have a movie, or a review on it, but, uh, The Minions mm-hmm. and Despicable Me, like, they do such, I think that's why I gravitate towards those movies as much as I do. I know they're crap, but they're fun, and I think I like it because of the language creation, and they do such a good job, <clears throat> or Mila and Luc Besson did such a good job with this movie, where it felt like, it felt like a language. Yeah. Which, it... It's tough to do because a lot of times it sounds like rambling gibberish. But they have well. That's the thing is, it, with anybody else delivering it, it would be random gibberish. Yeah. But like, there's it goes hand in hand with actually Mila is that her charisma and her kind of enthusiasm in kind of that delivery of the language, it works. You buy it. You buy it pretty quickly. And they did a good job with uh, getting like key words to stick out, so you can tell that like there's something there. Like, what was the name of the um the species that's supposed to be delivering her? The big hulking round things. Monochewin. I want to say, either way, whatever it is, yeah. I'm going to say Monachuan. Uh, whenever she was talking about how she got here, she'd throw that word in. Yeah. So she'd be going yada 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 Monachuan yada 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 Monachuan yada yada, and so you could tell like, oh, there's, they did such a good job because you've heard that word so many times throughout the film. Yeah. That when it peeks out, it's like, oh, she is saying something about the Monachuans. Yeah. It was, and, and they also kind of give you that cue to look out for that sort of stuff with Bruce Willis when they first meet and like big boom and then yeah. they start communicating like yeah. that. Yeah. Mon- big Mondo Shawn. 
Mondo oh, Shaolin. Huh. Okay. <laughs> that was close. I'll take it. Mondo Shaolin. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they, they, I like this. So as soon as he hears it, and boom. Ah, boom. I got boom. Okay. Big boom. Big bada boom. Bada boom. That's right. Yeah. Um, okay, well then let's move on to... Let's move on to Ruby Rod. Let's just get that one out of the way. Ruby Rod. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to move on to Ian Holm, but I think you gotta move on to Chris Tucker. Yeah. Because we just said a lot of great things about the movie, now let's stop. Um, for a moment. <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, you don't have great things to say about Ruby Rod? I have... I have a handful of good and a handful of terrible things to say about Ruby Rod, and I think they're both important, because I think if it wasn't for Ruby Rod, this movie would have gotten a sequel, it'd be up for a remake, they might be making a TV show out of it right now, but so many people remember this movie not fondly because of how much he graded on their senses. Mm. I have names that I won't name on this podcast for their sake, but I have people that I've talked to who will (laughs) not watch this movie again because they cannot stand him. He is the Jar Jar Binks of this film. Except for the fact that he's not stupid. Uh, he's pretty dumb. I don't know. I think it's a... He's, gr- not, think, he's not an action guy. I but he a, was smart in radio. You know, I think it's a great prophecy of YouTube personalities. That's <laughs> true. Exactly. He was it a is, great is, radio personality. You, you watch that, you watch him now, and you're just like, this is how we view YouTube stars and their personalities on YouTube. Just like... The crazy people who are like wackadoo <laughs> on just in front of a video cam who get millions of views are weird, like this guy. And I like that it's just so weird. It, it almost kind of embraces the weird 110%, which I can forgive some of the grading for. But th- I, some of that in the beginning is like, at first you're like, whoa, I'm a little bit okay. You can't tell me that PewDiePie doesn't watch Fifth Element and think, oh, that's me. I'm not sure PewDiePie, but there are ones. Except when he goes like, PewDiePie! Uh, I guess it's it. a lot like. <laughs> I don't think they're Ruby aware. Rod. I don't think they're aware of <laughs> that. I don't think PewDiePie's ever seen The Fifth Element. If well, I was then PewDiePie it. sucks. Agreed. Um, Internet. <laughs> we just lost all of our viewers. <laughs> I'm um, age of 12. Yeah. <laughs> well, now we can actually talk about booze and prostitution. <laughs> <laughs> we did um, already. <laughs> but no, so I think, I think Chris Tucker did an amazing job with the character that he was given. I just think the character he was given was annoying as shit. Yeah. And I don't think it's a bad thing, because I actually still really love the movie, and I think Chris Tucker is great in the movie, but I can understand, while watching, there's some points where I'm just like, shut up. And I think yeah. it might be intentional, yeah. which is a risky thing to do. Yeah. And I can appreciate Luc Besson for doing that, because it, it's a very risky move to make your audience go, fuck that guy. See, but I don't know. I loved him the whole time. Even when he's just yelling in the background, just screaming. I'm like, there's gotta be someone that reacts to this situation like this. I'm like, not everyone's okay with getting shot at all the time. Look at... (laughs) Really, I think the point that really pushes me over the fence is when they're running away from the grenade. One, two, three, four! We told him to count! Oh my god. No! Still screaming after the explosion. Yeah, that that was that's really for me the moment I go. "Ah, I'm done with this guy. No, oh, I love it. And then he comes back. He gets better. I don't know why he goes with them to the temple. Whatever. (laughs) It works. Yeah, it works. Because he's just part of the group at that point. How many movies have we watched where people just keep together for no good reason? At least we didn't have to sit through some stupid inspirational. This is why we gotta stay together, guys. Well, I I think it shows a, a great level of just kind of how flexible you can be with weird because the movie already has a lot of weird things like the oh, yeah. the, the Mando Chowans or whatever kind of puppety yeah. and Mando Chowans like, like there's this, this already kind of weird foundation and then you take that to 11 oh, yeah. which gives I don't know I wasn't nearly as annoyed and I really liked yeah. the character but I liked what it was doing against what the movie was already doing kind of just like you think this movie is weird Here's this, and yeah, I just I like the, I like the weird touches that don't necessarily tie in because you could take him out of the movie and it would still be a pretty good movie. This just I adds. Th- I think it, I think you're right. I think it does add to it. I think it makes it a little bit better. But yeah, I just he just kind of pushes it a little bit too far. But mm-hmm. the things that I, I love about him is I love it when he's not in the crisis mode and I like it when he's full blown radio producer mode. Oh yeah, and I because I love that he's just so crazy and loony on there, but he's so dead serious about his job that it's actually kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. that's and what I, I mean. He's great, yeah. and I love how mad he is at Bruce Willis the whole time. 
Because <laughs> he's not giving good spin. Yeah, he won't do anything. <laughs> and I like, even to the point where, like, the last time he's actually still in the radio thing is, now we're going to go to Corbin for the word of the day. Thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> and he looks like he's going to strangle yeah. him. <laughs> we're going to commercial! Commercial! <laughs> I had a friend in uh, elementary school who could do the perfect Ruby Rod impersonation, <laughs> and he was the most annoying friend I ever had. Um, he's a friend that you wanted. But, but jumping off, like, things that... A good juxtaposition, actually, I love between Ruby Rod and Corbin Dallas. And then a lot of the other guys in the movie that are the little side characters, like the, the movie star that can't hear. <laughs> Both Ruby... They're supposed to... Ruby Rod and him are supposed to be, like, the the most popular men in the galaxy. Yeah. yeah. But they're super effeminate. Yeah, super, yeah. like, female, like sexiness whatever well there's an interesting and, study yeah yeah and then you have corbin dallas who no one cares about but he's man's man so it's right. like a good juxtaposition between them like well what are you thinking masculinity is going to be in the future that is kind of a weird, <laughs> i never even really thought about that it is yeah. kind of a weird thing not weird it's kind of a cool thing that luke Besson yeah which it totally works because we were constantly blur especially right now with caitlin jenner and all that yeah. we're blurring the lines yeah <laughs> um but an interest in keeping this podcast moving as fast as possible. I feel we should move on to somebody else. I think we should move on to Bilbo Baggins. Yes. Ian Holm? Yes. The clumsy Ian Holm? The clumsy Ian Holm. <laughs> He's the, just the well-meaning meaning monk. Yeah, I'm not sure how much there is really to say about him, other than the fact that I love him in this part. This is one of my favorite roles of his. I, I love everything. There's like this, this bumbling like exasperation, which yeah. I just love watching. I love everything about I love it when... Uh, I love it when they finally land in Flossen's Paradise, and he somehow has gotten from the landing gear to above the fuselage, and they just hit the thing, and he falls out. It's like, oh, we're here. Have we have we landed? Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> and then you don't you don't even see him talking in between. Then you just see him with the handcuffs. Yeah. <laughs> just, I I just like that he's so well-meaning and tries so hard, but is just terrible at everything he does. Yeah. He's got he he has no actual training. Yeah. Even when they get to the moment where he's supposed to shine with the stones, he doesn't know what to do. Theoretically. Yeah. <laughs> Theoretically, no. Yeah. Theoretically, no. It's so good. Like I, I liked. I really. I, don't know, I really like Ian Holm. I like it when he shows up and stuff. That he's great as Bilbo Baggins. But I, this is like when I think of Ian Holm nowadays. This is usually the role I like to think of him in because I just I really loved him in this part. It's it's cool to see him in something kind of comedic and a little bit more bumbly yeah and something a little bit more epic and serious you know you like seeing that range and yeah especially for that actor who's yeah really good they're supposed to be the jedis of this movie they really are kind of it, it is almost a really fun commentary on jedis <laughs> yeah. in general just that oh here's the guy in the robes oh he's kind of bumbly they, i've been preparing yeah. for this for centuries yeah, yeah okay <laughs> the, the sweet belt with the, the tattoos of the the same yeah. tattoo she has on her wrist on his which I don't know how they knew that was going to happen, but, you know, I guess there's probably written down in a book somewhere that that tattoo yeah. would be on her wrist. Yeah. Or, I think it matches or just the, the simple the symbols. symbols. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could just put the two and two together whether or not you're anticipating a tattoo. Yeah. Um, well, with that, I think we should probably move on to um, Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. Need to Corbin talk about the Dallas. No, we don't need to talk about the assistant. Yeah. Although he does have some funny lines, but mm. yeah. Corbin Dallas is definitely the... Corbin Dallas as Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably my favorite role of his outside of Die Hard. Yeah. Like, he, it's the most rewatchable, I think, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he is always going to be John McClane, with the exception of you know, like, the two most recent Die Hards, which we can just kind of ignore. Um, yippee Kaye, mother explosion yeah. or gunshot or really any reason not to say fuck in a PG-13 movie <laughs> um, but yeah when I look at this one it's just like I've heard like I've heard the, the Kevin Smith spiel about how difficult Bruce Willis is to work with if he doesn't want to be a part of your film mm-hmm. and that very well could be true but I think yeah. that's true of anyone who doesn't want to do a job they're told they have to do so if right. he doesn't want to be on a film I can kind of I don't, I don't think negatively of Bruce Willis for being kind of difficult to work with because yeah. he didn't want to do the movie. Yeah. I can understand that. I mean, granted, you didn't pay millions of dollars, so there's kind of like a little bit of like, well, fuck you. But I mean, it's a contract too, but... Yeah. But at the same... Once you get there, you never know what's, what the actual movie's going to be once you get there. Yeah, so... But I can understand the whole, like, I don't want to do this job. I have no interest in being here. Why would I do this? Mm-hmm. Um, other than my agent told me I have to. So, like, I can right. kind of understand. 
But there is something to say, like we mentioned a lot in this podcast about actors. There's something to say about when an actor shows up who wants to be there, mm-hmm. their performance is so much better. Like before yeah. this, had he done hard sci-fi? No, I don't think so. Like the only other sci-fi movie that comes to mind right now for him would be Surrogates. Yeah, I think so. I, I, he's never been a big sci-fi guy. He's more yeah. about the action. It's probably why action he loved this drama. movie so much. It was yeah. a big divergence for him. It was, and it it wasn't. It wasn't because he's very kind of a John McClane-ish type character in this, but not. He's still fulfilling this, his action tropes. Yeah, in yeah. A sci-fi but there's just setting. so many more fun things to play with in this movie that yeah. I would say in the John McClane. Yeah, that's true. And but it, this, it felt like the the quality performance for this one felt like the same one from uh, from like Pulp Fiction, where it just felt like a a job that he wanted and he wanted to do. And it was, uh, it's like a joy to watch him in it. Like, mm-hmm. he just has so much fun. And, like, his chemistry with Mila was surprisingly great. Yeah. And that could just be because he's a charismatic guy or whatever, and she's very charismatic. But it's great when those kind of match up. Right. Because um, you can still have charismatic people that just kind of charismat away from each other, and it doesn't yeah. work so well. Yeah, and that happens all the time. It's yeah. kind of annoying when it does, but it does. Um, but this one, like, everything about him in this role was perfect and i don't know if luke basson wrote the role for him or if it just worked out that way but it really worked out like he probably got very massaged into that actor throughout production yeah i wouldn't be surprised if they were willing to massage the script a little bit on set for the moment yeah Yeah. because there's just something about like this sort of character that really in the history that i've can think of in film that he's really the only actor can pull off a role like this as well as he does the every man, man's man. The every man's man's man. It's a tough thing to do. It's a very tough thing. Like to the do. closest thing we have right now is Nick Offerman, but he's just the funny man's man. Yeah, he, he couldn't be an action hero. No, we don't he, really he, have that. You have like, mm-hmm. you have the buff guy or the unassuming hero. You don't have like the every dude who's also an action. And hero. this is this very this this doubles down on the every man dude, where something yeah. like Nick Offerman is almost a commentary on the man's man. This is just yeah. the man's man. Like yeah, and. To what you were saying earlier, it's definitely helped by the contrast of every other male not incom- like not being manly. Yeah. And not following any of those elements that make them manly. Yeah. Just to kind of uplift his his role. He's not wearing leopard print, he's not wearing lace. Even down to like the bumbling doofy, you know, like there's all these traits that aren't manly in every other male in the in the in the movie, and then you've got him who just kind of encapsulates it's almost yeah, an interesting commentary on yeah. what it, it means to be a man. Yeah. Yeah, I think they purposely did that to basically demasculize the rest of the male cast so yeah, that Bruce would stand out. Yeah. The military were pretty masculine, but they were also limited. Because they never see, you never see the military guys do anything mm-hmm. yeah. big. They just stand out. They don't around. seem to be very effective. Yeah. yeah. Like, there, there's all these little elements that you touched on very very nicely. Even the president asks, like, says, hey, we're screwed here. And yeah. we got <laughs> two hours. It's like, oh, we'll call you back in two hours. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's How long will we be there? An hour and 57 minutes. I'll call you back in two hours. Like, that's... <laughs> So awesome! I was like, yeah. that's, that's just badass. Yeah. Um, and it's really good that they beat down his character too before he actually gets uplifted. I guess. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So. You have one point on your driver's license. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And is the uh, the mail anybody's quote here when he gets the mail letter from the the Chinese delivery guy? No. Oh, it's not my quote, but I really like that There's scene. There's so it, many quotes in this movie, That's true, actually. but that, that's always been one of my favorite moments ever. When he gets the, the mail in the slide, he's like, oh, you got mail, it could be good news. And he's like, it's never good news. He's like, I bet your lunch on it. He's like, all right, go for it. He takes on the mail, he's like, you are fired. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, at least I got lunch. <laughs> I'm always looking for the good things. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a great thing. And like, I love his cross-eyed cat. Like, yeah. I suppose that could be the only, like, non-super masculine thing there actually are a couple not super not because he has a glitter chandelier thing in his room, mm-hmm. which is non masculine, super masculine, and this the, the cross-eyed white cat. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, again, an interesting moving the podcast as long as fast as possible. We should move on to Gary Oldman because we still have one other major thing to talk about. One of so his best creations. Uh, I'm gonna go with the best. The best. Yep. And I'm saying that with full knowledge of the. Horrible murder sequence in Professional, where he is the most terrifying villain on on camera. The, is... the power in this role is he has a lot of restraint. He does. And it shows. Like, he, it's a very interesting... Just diversion. the way, like, the emotions you see coming out of his character in his, like, teeth. 
when he's mm-hmm. talking and like when he gets annoyed that he shows his teeth just a little bit more with that southern accent. Yeah. On set, they're like, okay, you, we need you to act with your teeth. <laughs> like, what? I wouldn't be surprised if that was like a thing yeah. he was thinking about. Like, just a, just the hint of a snarl. I just, I, the, the restraint thing is what I like about him. You yeah. always feel like he's just on the brink of snapping and you feel like he's the type of guy if he snaps, everyone's going to die. Until he does snap a little bit. And even when he does snap, it's restrained. Yeah. I am disappointed! (laughs) (laughs) It's all related to the whole, like, mysterious shadow call that he gets. And he's all worried. And What what happened exactly with that? He was just bleeding from his head because... There's no explanation for either the Mental telepathy or something? Yeah, it happens twice. But both times that thing fucks with people, they get black ooze running down their head. Which doesn't make sense to me, but whatever. Yeah. It's like they're marked or something and they yeah. have to follow orders or implosions. Yeah. So. Um, but I love, uh, and moving into what I think will be the final thing we talk about with this thing, but I, I got to start it with Gary Oldman. I love the design of his costume. Like, yeah. I love everything he wears is some of my favorite things that people wear in this movie. That's what I mean about, like, the inspiredness of the idea of the future clothing in the 90s, but still is timeless at the same time. True, and I think that holds for most people, but Gary Oldman, for some reason, just stands a little bit different from what everyone else wears in this movie. And it could be the plastic headpiece he wears the whole time, and it could just be, like, the, the multicolored, like, rubber jackets that he's wearing. But it's, like, everything about the way he looks is just so... It fits his character so well, because it's all so perfect. Like, down to the seams. Like, you can tell, like, this is so calculated and exactly how he wants to look in every moment. I just... I, it adds so much to his character. And then you have the mystery of the clinking of his, uh, f- you're assuming false leg, or he's wearing a brace. Yeah. You never find out. You just know he's limping, and he has a clink whenever he walks. Yeah. Like, what, how did that happen? What was in his back character? Because you know that was in his backstory, his character backstory, mm-hmm. yeah. that we didn't get to see. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely something there. But I, I really, like, I love that. Like, there's so many little subtle things in there, and I don't know if it's all Luke Besson or all Gary Oldman, because like, it really could go one way or the other. But... Yeah. But it's a, it's a wonderful thing that they add into it. Makes a lot of fun. And like every like he, Oldman has said a few times in interviews, he's never done the same accent twice. And of all the characters to choose to do a southern accent with, yeah, <laughs> this yeah, this sure. guy that runs a interplanetary uh, c- corporation of evil <laughs> has evil a Congress. southern accent. <laughs> Oh, and I also love that he has a little bit of a soft side. He does, for his He's little... He's got a little elephant mutant pet thing I that looks it. like it's straight out of a Dr. Seuss novel. Dr. Seuss or like a reject from the Flintstones movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Sorry, go ahead. I was because he, you know, you see him petting it instead of having a cat. Oh, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> Um, so I think the last thing I want to talk about, we kind of touched it in the beginning of the episode, but I kind of want to bring it back to close it, is I want to talk about the design of the film. Because it was something that's, again, we kind of mentioned earlier, but I think we should talk about it a little bit more in depth. It's something that made the movie stand out so much compared to everything else that's been coming out. And it's something that's really not been able to be, at least in my opinion, replicated since. It, it danced a very interesting dance between the perfectness of the future that a lot of people have in their future movies mm. and then the dinginess. Because, like, in um, Blade Runner, it was all dinginess. There was just nothing that looked clean in that movie. So they had some of that in this with the cars and with the guy's uh, food raft and then all the trash at the subway station, essentially. But then you get into the ships in the nice areas and it's perfectly lovely, perfectly clean and smooth and, like, chromey, but also neon. Because everything is neon in this. It was kind of, it's, it was a fun way to make it feel like, uh, like this was not really a big argument at the time, but like the whole like 1% versus the 99%, it feels like that argument had been extremely like bigged, that's the word I'm going to use, uh, over the course of this many years. Cause it felt like 99% of the world was kind of this kind of dingy, we're trying, but everything's kind of gross. Everything has garbage everywhere. Nothing is clean. Yeah. Even when Blech. she says, sorry for the trash, they're like what they didn't even pay attention to it yeah and it's a gigantic wall of trash Yeah, it's a shitload of trash (laughs) yeah uh but then when you see like the one percent love like flostin's paradise yeah everything is gorgeous all the people are rich they're all wearing and it's still hawaiian yeah yeah. so i i like that it it really felt Mm -hmm. like that divide was way more there and that's definitely something they like you know that something comes up in pre-production that was 
definitely hit hard and it really worked. And just to look at the things that this movie inspired, you can't tell me that the girl that, or at least the people who made the Hunger Game movies, maybe not the books, didn't watch this movie and went, oh, yeah, let's use those costumes again. <laughs> <laughs> let's just make them a little bit more flamboyant. But yeah, let's just do that again. Well, and it doesn't focus, like, what, what makes the strength of it is that it doesn't focus on that, the 1% versus the 99% kind of, it just is there for yeah. you to look into. Whereas in the higher games, that was always kind of a, 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 like a distraction. It was like, oh, now we have to look at all the rich people. These are the one percenters. These, yeah. are, these are the, these are, they're bad. Look how talking. flamboyant their costumes are. Whereas, like, it feels like this was just part of the world. And yeah. I think Fifth Element does a really good job of yeah. just... Leaving it there for you to kind of digest. Like, yeah, yeah. This is what it I is. was just comparing the the idea yeah, of yeah. costumes, not yeah, but, politics. No, but it works. <laughs> like, even with that, it works. And like, just, by making it more like natural and organic, that you can kind of like it's there if you want to see it, and not if you don't want to see it. But it makes it like that's something that makes the film stronger. Like, and it seems like the further up, like, and I don't know if this, this holds true one hundred percent of the time in the movie, but the closer to ground everyone is, the dirtier and the poorer it is. Whereas the further up you get into space beyond it starts to get richer more more yeah. posh and more extravagant which was interesting but maybe small distinction but yeah. they just leave that's it totally how it would work yeah, yeah it's the same idea with penthouses like mm-hmm. only the real rich get that thing yeah everyone wants a view yeah, yeah. and I, I mean in this movie there's a lot of big ideas that uh you can just gloss over and you can still enjoy this movie but if you really want to dissect it like you're talking about the class struggle you're yeah. talking about human sexuality like there's a lot of really big ideas in this movie that you don't even need to understand it; just really enjoy it. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like what I was saying a second ago, where like by making it subtle and kind of understated, it makes it stronger because it never feels yeah. like the movie needs to preach at you about this stuff. No, and it feels like the world is bigger than what we actually see, which is a big thing that I I, I like to see that in movies because yeah, you know, you imagine what else could happen in this world. Yeah, well, and, and sci-fi that... is never about like definite. Like you're, you're supposed to explore the ideas, not yeah, come to like you're supposed to come to your own kind of conclusion and figure it out, but like. It's all about exploration of ideas. And, and this, the this fully realizedness of it is what makes it so impressive. Because there's so many sci-fi films that just kind of feel like, well, this is this world in this movie. But in while you were watching The Fifth Element, you totally have the idea that there's so much going on outside of this. Yeah, like there's so many sci-fi movies to watch, but they'll go like way more places than this movie does. But it still feels very self-contained. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, The Fifth Element, you really, you see... New York for a little bit, and you see Flossen's Paradise, and then you see Egypt. And that's really... And Egypt, you can't really even count, because it's not like you see future and past Egypt, because it's the same ruins. Yeah. Um, so you really want to see New York and Flossen's Paradise, but it still feels like such a fully realized world, where it doesn't feel like, oh, so we just saw New York. I wonder what the Western world is like. You can totally understand, like, Chicago probably something like this, or LA is probably something like this. And it, like you don't, without seeing it, you still understand that those are there, and it all works. You feel like these characters live in the world, not that they're just visiting for two hours. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a tough thing to do. Mm-hmm. Very tough thing to do. That's why this one will stand the test of time more so than you know, these other 90s ones that I kind of remember going to, but don't even remember their names now. <laughs> and it, and it, the key point is it's not heavy-handed. Yeah. Like, yeah. I feel like what, uh, a benefit of Lupus on doing things a little bit more like lighthearted, a little bit more kind of more fun, is that it's masking kind of the message, the, the all the stuff you pull out, versus a lot of sci-fi today where we feel like we have to kind of preach a message yeah we have to Ella have a thing that we're attacking or deconstructing and that weaves its way too much into the plot where the plot you know yeah save the world world humanity bad whatever but there's all this stuff underneath yeah and that's kind of the key part that all that stuff is underneath that you can pull out that's what makes it stand the test of time versus just this is a message sci-fi movie <laughs> yeah uh real quick one character that we never got to see but was a character throughout the whole movie Oh, Corbin's mom. mom. Yeah. <laughs> is that Debbie Miser? I couldn't tell. I don't voice. know. I don't remember who did her voice. But seriously, the woman who she Ben Steined that, oh, and yeah. she did a wonderful job. Whoever it was, she ends the movie. She's the last thing we hear. It cuts to black. She's still talking. Yeah. I just love. He can't escape her. No matter where he goes, yeah. she will find the phone number. It's a great, <laughs> great payoff to a recurring joke. It really yeah. is. Yeah. All right, so we move on to quotes. Uh, I'm going to let Chewie go first because I feel like she's going to stab someone if they take her quote. This is the best quote of the movie. It's not, but you're welcome to think that. Whatever. So what's your quote? (laughs) Multipass? Yes, multipass. (laughs) Multipass! 
Um, it's my favorite of the movie. How especially, did you remember it? <laughs> even when, especially I didn't even think about that. That's one of my, my best memes on the internet is when it just has Gandalf yelling, You shall not pass! And underneath is a picture of Lilu with her multi-pass. <laughs> multi-pass. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to pass. I do like how she says it like it's part of her name. <laughs> <laughs> Lilu does multi-pass. She knows it's a multi-pass. <laughs> multi-pass. Um... Uh, I'll go pretty early. Uh, it seemed very perverted to me. Uh, I'd like to take a few pictures for the archives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, the intro to her character was pretty pervy because she's perfect. perfect. She's the perfect. The one. way that guy says perfect is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Your turn? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, it's when the uh, president is talking with. Corbin's mother on the phone. <laughs> Mrs. Dallas, this is the president on behalf of the Federation. I would like to thank you. And then she cuts him off. Oh, please. That doesn't even sound like him. The president's an idiot. You don't sound like an idiot. <laughs> if you don't want to talk to your mother, just avoid me like usual, huh? I'll just throw myself in traffic. I'll just saran wrap myself to the bed and pretend my child is suffocating me. <laughs> it, you know that thing when you're away from your parents and you never call your mother enough or, or your family enough? And it just, I, I thought that was a nice little... I love his mom. And then it just goes off the rails with I'll just throw myself in traffic or saran wrap myself to the bed. And, like, that's specific. <laughs> She's thought about it. I like, like, in humor, I like those moments that are specific in a way that it's like, I hadn't even, that's weird. All right. Um, I had three quotes that I was going to use. Mm-hmm. I can mention pretty much all of them in the same amount of time that you guys said yours because they're all really, really quick. All right. uh, my first quote was going to be the entire song from the opera. Which I wasn't going to say all the words to, but that entire sequence is one of my favorite sequences in any sci-fi movie ever. Mm-hmm. We didn't really bring up the episode, but it's fucking amazing. Well, I, tra- and surprising. I started bringing it up a little bit with the editing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but it's so fucking. It plays with expectations so much, and it's so great. Yeah, and the voice uh, performance was really good too. Really good. Yeah. And then I had the other two that I actually use um, all the time. Uh, the first one is Aziz Light. <laughs> Which is one of my favorite moments. I like the payoff at the end where he's like, oh, that's good. You're, yeah. finally, you're finally doing this right. And he's just like, Thank you, Aziz. Oh, much better, Aziz. I'm not doing it. <laughs> um, it's that one. And then uh, I use this one all the time and no one ever knows what I'm talking about because it's a very random quote to pull from the fifth element. But it's from the bartender when he's sitting at the bar and this is the bartender who goes, you want some more? <laughs> I just, I love that. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's always stuck with me. <laughs> it's the worst bartender ever. You want some more? <laughs> I do want some more. <laughs> um... Okay, so for today's review system, I came up with it while we were talking about it, so I don't actually have one preloaded, which will kind of suck, but we'll get through it. Um, uh, I'm going to go with sci-fi movies that have a fully realized world. Yeah. This could be very broad and easy, or it can be very difficult. Fully realized world or fully realized galaxy? Both. Both. They'll both work. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, it's, the, it's the royal world. Yes. <laughs> can I just go first? English jokes! <laughs> Sure. Star Wars. <laughs> you think this movie's as good as Star Wars? Not. Oh snap! Close. It breaks. It breaks down. <laughs> well, Return of the Jedi. I mean, it. Sh- it... <laughs> That's realized. All right. Well, fine. I'll compare it to one of the lesser Star Wars. I'll compare it to Phantom Menace. Ouch. You think it's as bad as Phantom Menace? No! (laughs) Phantom Menace was actually the better movie of the prequels, in my opinion. Okay. It actually tried to show a difference between class systems. True. Even though it had, you know, the rep scallion that needed to save the universe that no one really thought would do it because he's strong and weak at the same time. Um... They both had Jar Jar. Yeah. Yeah, and you have the the bubbling character that apparently mo- a lot of people hate, even though I totally did hate Jar Jar, but I love Ruby Rod. Um, An interesting conflict. <laughs> and it's great for kids. You can't deny that. Well, you could deny in this movie. There's a lot of boobs in it. There's... But you don't actually see the boobs. You definitely see the boobs. Mm-hmm. But when, not... when you do see Mila's boobs, they're not in a sexual manner. That's true. She's it's just naked like out of bed. The and they get covered rather quickly. That's true. And the rest of the time the movie is, for a film that is barely sci-fi, and deals with death and things, it's actually great for kids. Yeah. Which they did also do in Phantom Menace, even though there's a lot of bad things in that movie too. But And no boobs. If I had to choose between the two, I'd still watch Fifth Element over Phantom Menace. Yeah. 
But there's some fun parallels. Yeah. Interesting parallels in there. Yeah. Even, and But this movie also got the grittiness better than Phantom. Phantom Menace was just all shiny. Yeah. But that's George Lucas's fault. True. <clears throat> I'll just go with one of my favorite movies, uh, Serenity. Okay. Um, you know, you got an ass-kicking girl who was probably spawned from Whedon maybe watching this and a little bit of Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. Um, you got the free, uh, fully realized universe. You got the, the class struggle, the, you know, the brown coats, the fighting up against the establishment of the government and, um, yeah, and, and basically the government fucking over an entire world and them having to bring that truth and justice to light. Uh, it's de- it definitely there's plot parallels aren't really there, but I, I enjoyed both movies uh, phenomenally, and I guess I compared the two because, uh, yeah, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. You suddenly made a joke? Uh, yeah. Okay, uh, I'm going with Dread. Which one? The most re- Not Judge Dread. <laughs> Dread. The good one. Um, and I'm going more so because of the whole class struggle of it and the dystopian future aspect of it. Um, and just because of that fully realized world. It's really more about the fully realized world than anything else. Because in Dread, you feel like you're just seeing like the pinpoint of a huge scoping world. And especially with that movie because it all takes place in the one building. It does such a good job setting up, like, this world is huge, and it's all full of problems and all like that, and there's very little we can do to help it, but people are still making it work. And I kind of felt the same way in The Fifth Element, where, like, there's a lot of problems, there's a lot of crime, there's a lot of this, and there's only so much that people can do to help it. The police are kind of helpless, but they try, and it kind of felt the same way in Dread. I mean, there's far fewer police in Dread than there is in Fifth Element. But The Fifth Element, like, fuck, Corbin Dallas gets robbed in the beginning, like, he doesn't actually get robbed because he's Corbin Dallas, but he gets a gun pointed at him the second he walks out of his door at the beginning of the film. And it's not the first time that's happened. Yeah, and, like, and he just has a collection of every time this has happened to him and the guns that just come down from the ceiling. So, like, it's it's clear that there's a lot of problems that the police try, but there's not much they can do. And I, I really like that. Just the world of Dread, I fucking love. And I really love the world of Fifth Element. I do love that moment when the police are trying to get Lilu. He's like, there's nowhere to go. Do you understand? <laughs> she just looks at him and walks away like, she doesn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go an interesting route in terms of the fully realized world. I'm going to go with Predator. Okay. And then by fully realized world, it's definitely the world in kind of, if you're taking this kind of action-y Vietnam world, Mm -hmm. and then suddenly they're throwing sci-fi into it. Okay. And I like how it kind of plays with that. And it, it, for its action-earing and all that, it it revels in the fun moments of it. Yep. And and actually really does commentary, like has commentary on masculinity. In a big way. And how, like, basically it really deconstructions, basically reduces everyone to just a bumbling mess by the end. Except for the one man, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Who kind of emerges as the ultimate man. He really Sort of like Corbin Dallas, I guess, in a way. But there's still this element that, after you're done watching the movie, you're not confused about the rules of the world, like, what's what. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is very much a time period, very much a certain element of thinking and... Yeah, no, it's. I think it's like those parallels for me. Yeah, that works. It is yeah. an ultimate evil as well that we can't understand. Yeah, very true. And you never get to understand. Like it just. Well, you get to understand once you get the Predators with Adrian Brody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they explain everything. It's a great movie. You should definitely see it. Mm-hmm. I did it's, see it. It's horrible. One thing that I want to bring up really fast that we didn't touch on, just some of the things in the movie that doesn't make any sense because there are things. Yeah. But specifically the ending, when they actually defeat the big bad evil. Oh, yeah, they're and, fucked. Yeah, the and then I'm like, over. oh, no. So we were going to have a fast death with it exploding into our planet. But now we're going to have a slow, terrible, uh, what's the disaster guy's name? Emmerich-style death. Yeah, Roland Emmerich. Oh, the yeah. entire planet is going to go Roland, Roland Emmerich because we have a second moon. We have a second moon <laughs> that's 60 miles above us. And it's yeah, on the opposite side. <laughs> Basically, the oceans are like, wait, what? It's kind of like how over. at the end of Jedi, when all the Ewoks were definitely going to die from that debris. Oh, yeah. Like, what is this? Oh, stuff? Shit. <laughs> yeah, no, the the world most definitely ended at the end of it. Though. That's probably why we never got a sequel. We only make a sixth element. Did you, there's a second moon. That entire world ripped itself in half. <laughs> yeah, it's put like we, two giant super magnets on opposite ends. Yeah. <laughs> but, but let's just cut cut to black before that happens. Yeah. 
No, it's funny. After the movie ended, Chewie and I were like, wait, how big did they say that thing was? And we went and like, we did the math and everything like that because yep. we just got nerdy uh-huh. about it. It's like, oh, it's the same size as the moon. And it's closer. <laughs> it's so much closer. We're fucked. <laughs> we have so much nighttime. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is the... The eclipse is coming. Okay. <laughs> it's great for surfers. Yeah, they're going to... Well, maybe. They're going to die. They're yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll be the ones who survive because the whole earth will be covered with water and sweet yeah. waves. It's they'll be like, still be on the board and they'll just be... It'll be Waterworld. That, that was the sequel, but... It, oh my water. god, yeah, it was. It was Waterworld. <laughs> um, okay, so that brings today's discussion to a close. Uh, next week, we have my favorite film from last year. Um, it did not win our best of episode, which was, you know, too bad, but can't always win. Um, but next week is The Babadook. Babadook. Duk, Babadook. Yeah. Which is on Netflix, so yeah. if you want to watch it beforehand, it is totally free and yeah. available for everybody. You have no excuse. You have no excuse not to watch it. And the week after that, we're not going to be recording, because we'll be out of town. Um, then the week after that, we have an episode that John and I have been talking about for a while now. And it should be a good one, I'm hoping. It's our guilty pleasure battle of video game movies. Oh, man. So that's going to be movies that we know are terrible, yep. but we can defend because they're awesome. Yeah. And we're going to see how, how well that one turns out. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, just for a few more that are coming up here that are exciting, uh, we have a Bloodborne episode coming up. We have Birdman, Kingsman, like we mentioned earlier. Uh, we're finally going to be doing an episode of Ex Machina. And then... Um, before lo and behold uh, we will be doing a another and final because i think if we do too many of these things people are gonna stop listening to us uh the final battle of the bond episode which will hopefully be more definitive once i can figure out how to format which to say is the best out of all of them yeah but we'll figure out a way okay so with all that clearly we have a lot of stuff to look forward to hopefully you are all looking forward to it i know i am uh okay so with that bye bye, bye. bye.